You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo once said that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. When we think of the messianic prophecies from this perspective, we see that the Old Testament whispers to us about the coming of the Messiah. Join us during our Advent sermon series titled, Rumors of the Messiah, where we confirm the whispered prophecies of the Old Testament that told of the birth, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're able, please stand with me as we read the word. We're in Isaiah chapter 9, verses um, 1 through 7, and it will be on the screen for you. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephetai. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders." He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. Thanks be to God. God. Thanks, Kristen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the faithfulness that you've given to us in getting us here for another another Sunday. Uh, Lord, your name is worthy above all names, and uh, may that, that, that refrain, Lord, be within us all throughout this week as we go about our, our days at work, at school, in different places, God. So just give you uh, thanks, Lord. You're a, a wonderful, glorious, beautiful God. And God, we do just uh, ask that you would speak to us through this passage today. Uh, Lord, uh, sometimes familiarity can kind of breed sort of an indifference, and I just pray that that's not the case for us. Speak to us afresh, surprise us with what you have to say here, Father. And Lord, I know there's many of us in our church family uh, that are dealing with uh, pain, loss, sickness, um, all kinds of stuff going on in our world, Lord. And I just pray for each of those individuals, uh, whether it's Um, yeah, just recovering from a car accident, dealing with health concerns, trying to adopt a child. Um, Lord, a loss of a a parent or a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a good friend, all kinds of stuff happening during this season, Lord. And for some reason, it feels like times it kind of comes in waves and it keeps coming. And Lord, we just ask that you would sustain us, that you would help us, Lord. We cry out to you. We need you desperately. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So in case we've never met before, my name is Lyle, one of the pastors here. And just like what's been said several times, just want to say welcome you. Uh, glad you're here and glad you're a part of this second Sunday of what we call Advent. And so if you're just joining us, we're uh, spending a few weeks in this series called Rumors of Jesus, where we're just kind of diving into some Old Testament passage that speaks to the point of the Bible. And the point of the Bible uh, is Jesus. And so today we want to spend a little bit of time looking at Isaiah chapter 9, possibly a familiar passage to you guys as he speaks of a coming one, a, a child that's going to usher in a uh, a completely new age. And so we want to hopefully, Lord willing, uh, receive this afresh and anew. I know sometimes Christmas time can be difficult, but we're praying uh, that God can surprise us with what he has to say to us. So in 1914, it's the first year of World War I on Christmas Eve of 1914. Uh, there was a German soldier that got up from the trenches, walked out to the middle of no man's land and began to sing Silent Night in German. Uh, that, that period was called, or this little event was called the Christmas Truce of 1914, because after he sang that song, thousands of men uh, put down their guns, they got out of their trenches, and they uh, spent a day together um, exchanging gifts like tobacco and uh, rum and chocolates, and they actually exchanged photographs of their loved ones and and shared a little bit about their loved ones. They sang songs together. They actually played a game of soccer, uh, which is what you see there in the top left-hand corner. And they helped uh, bury each other's dead. Anybody heard of this story? Anybody in here? Yeah, I think there was like a, an actual musical that they put together called All Is Calm. I think it came out on, on PBS uh, last year. It's interesting. I, I majored in history. And I don't remember this. This is like something I discovered this week. And so it, maybe that tells you a little bit about the school that I graduated from. I don't know. <laughs> but it's interesting. Um, for, and there's so much you could probably learn from this, right? Uh, but for one day, they kind of set aside all the pain, suffering, fighting, anger, almost like they um, had to ignore the reality that was going on so they can take a day and enjoy Christmas. Now, I'm not saying that's bad, and goodness gracious, um, for them to get a day like this was probably very life-giving for them. Because unfortunately, after this day left or was done, they all went back to their trenches and took up their guns, and the, the, war, the war lasted for another four years, and most likely none of those men came home to celebrate another Christmas. I don't know about you, um, but sometimes Christmas, not just Christmas Day, sometimes a Christmas season can kind of feel like you've got to ignore all the pain, suffering, difficulty, hardship that is going on around us, right? And if we're paying attention to ourselves, it's probably going on inside of us. So we almost got to sort of like, deny this or dismiss it or downplay it or at minimal kind of ignore it so that we can have some kind of like holly jolly Christmas, right? That's kind of the gift of Advent, isn't it? You see, one writer says this, we, we do feel that the world is broken. We, we know this, we feel this, we experience this. 
and we don't like it, doesn't matter where you're at spiritually, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you experience this reality and we all do not like it. And what I would add to this quote is, is sometimes we don't know what to do with that. And so our collective tendency is to downplay or deflect those feelings. But actually, Advent has kind of a different invitation for us. So just in case you're kind of new to Advent, Advent is not um, the way that Christians are supposed to celebrate Christmas, right? We do such weird things. We as followers of Jesus can be so weird sometimes, and I'm one of them, right? Uh, and so it, it doesn't, it's not the Christian version of Christmas. You don't need to go to Walmart and say, Merry Advent. And you know what I'm saying? It's like, Sometimes we get a little weird about that, but basically Advent is a Latin word that means coming, right? And so when we, when we celebrate this as followers of Jesus Christ, it's a, it's a way for us to celebrate Christmas with Advent because we are individuals, if you are a follower of Jesus, where you are kind of the, in between these two Advents, these two comings, so to speak. And so we, we look back and celebrate his first coming, his first Advent, which we call Christmas, uh, and then we also are, are looking forward to the second advent or the second coming, which is called the eschaton, when God brings an end to all things and all of history and actually begins to fulfill, not begins, but he fulfills everything that he started in the first coming. So, so some of what we're, we're longing for is a real peace, right? We just lit the candle of, you know, of peace today. And we all long for that, not only peace within us, in our own soul, when we feel disintegrated and all over the place, we long for it in our families. Like, I mean, this is the time of year when we acknowledge that, man, my family is, is chaos sometimes, and we just long for a peaceful dinner for crying out loud. And so there's a way that in Jesus coming first, starting the kingdom, it's, it's inaugurated, it, it's begun, but it's not full, is it? It's not yet. We're kind of in this in between. And so what I would say to you that is that Advent is an invitation for all of us to kind of um, face up to the darkness, the brokenness, the loss, sin, in order for us to appreciate, to worship, capital L, the light, whose name is Jesus. As Tim Keller says in his book on Christmas, great little book, encourage you. If you've never read it, uh, it's a good little book to read. It's pretty short there. But he says this, um, the message of Christmas is not cheer up. If we all pull together, we can make the world a better place. In fact, the message of Christmas says this, things really are this bad and we cannot heal or save ourselves. Things are really this dark. Nevertheless, there's hope. Nevertheless, there is hope. That's at the heart of what's going on here in Isaiah chapter 9. And what you will find as we go through this series is the kind of common melody and theme that we have is this theme of hope. And our hope is not in some kind of like wishful thinking, but there is a certain hope that we have because it's in a person. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 9 here because he's writing in a really dark time for the nation of Israel. 
chapter 8, verse 22, kind of helps us see a little bit of the darkness that's going on in the nation of Israel. When he says this, they will walk toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction. And they will be driven into thick darkness. This is a a really disturbing time in the nation of Israel. And so, and, and a part of the darkness that they're experiencing is brought on them. It's on in their own making because they rebelled against God. They, they continue to ignore prophet after prophet after prophet after hundreds of years saying, repent, come back to me, repent, come back to me. They ignore this and we're not going to. And God is bringing a nation, the nation of Assyria to bring about discipline upon his people. And this is a really, really, disturbing, dark time in the nation of Israel, a period of angst, of great fear, of distress that created these sort of longings within them. And so you've got this dark time within the nation of Israel and you see Isaiah talking about that in the last verse of chapter eight, but look what he starts chapter nine with. Say it out loud with me because it's underlined. We can do this really well, right? He says what? Nevertheless. So he's He's not trying to ignore the darkness. He's not trying to dismiss it. He's not trying to say, hey, pretend like it's not there. No, he's saying, I'm acknowledging this is a really dark place. And this is a darkness of your own making. You're bringing this on yourself. There's a lot of gloom in the nation of Israel. Nevertheless, there is hope. There's coming a day. There's a a future time that's coming where every will change. And notice here, these next five verses here, he speaks of this, um, this sort of coming one that's going to usher in a new day. It's going to usher in a, a new way. I, I, everything is not going to be as it was here. There's a, there's a real hope, even though we're in the midst of darkness, there's a, there's a real hope that's coming. And it's interesting as we work through these three verses or these four verses here real quickly, you'll notice that he speaks of the future as if it already happened. All of them are in the past tense. And this has not happened yet. But he's speaking of the future as if it has already happened. It's like, you know, what Kentucky fans do all the time, right? When we talk about them winning the national championship in 2022, we talk like it's already happened. Amen? Okay, maybe not. Like, like two people. Whatever. All right. But this is what he does. That's the certainty of the hope that he has. Like things are going to change. This is not going to be the state. It is certain. It's going to, I can speak of the certainty of the future by speaking about it in the past tense. Look what he says here, starting in verse two, as he lays out this vision, this this period of time that's coming, the people walking in darkness. Look, past tense, have seen a great light. A light, past tense, has dawned on those living in the land of the darkness. And when this light comes upon the world, look at the blessings that's given to the people here, starting in verse 3, written in the past tense. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. Verse 4, for you have, past tense again, have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders and the staff of their oppressor, kind of speaking back to the nation uh, when they were in, in slavery with Egypt, just as you did in the day of Midian. He's referring back 
to an episode in Judges chapter seven, where God rescued the nation of Israel through 300 people. He whittled down Gideon's army to 300 and they went and defeated the, uh, the Midianites then, a massive, massive army in that day. So he's referring back to there. Verse five, he goes on, for every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. Isaiah is speaking of a new day, a day that is filled with joy and rejoicing. There's coming one who will change everything. Where there was once darkness, there's going to be light. Where there was once sadness and despair, there's gonna be great joy. Where there was once slavery, there's gonna be freedom. Where there was once war and fear and hostility and division, there's going to be peace. But here is what is shocking about this passage of scripture, but is what is said in verse six, because remember, he's speaking of a future that's already happened. So how can we be so certain that this is what's gonna happen? For a child. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. This is a, sometimes the difficulty of preaching during Christmas season. Because if, you, if you've grown up in church, you know who he's talking about. And it, it doesn't land on us in a shocking way. A child, a child, the light, it's making its way through a child, a child, a, the most vulnerable of all human beings, a, a child. Notice here that the emphasis falls not on what the child would do when grown up, but on the mere fact of the child's birth, meaning that in his coming, all the results that he's talking about here from verses two from, to five from his coming are at once secured. The emphasis here rests on the coming one for to us a child is born. This is not what the people that hearing Isaiah's message is expecting. And if we're honest also, even though we know the fuller story, if we can sort of stop and not know the fuller story for just a few minutes, we would be shocked that a child is gonna come and do all this. I mean, anytime we watch a movie or a show where the child is the conqueror and the hero, don't we feel a little weird about that? Nothing against children, amen? Home Alone, classic movie, I love it probably watch it again, but he's an eight-year-old boy, right? I'm saying like, all right, I know, I'm going to stretch it. Like this would never happen. Like he's eight years old, right? I mean, I know those guys are morons, but my goodness, <laughs> he's eight years old. The Chronicles of Narnia, love the series, love reading all the books, but when they did the movies, didn't you just kind of feel weird seeing Lucy on a horse killing all kinds of beasts? I mean, she's like six, seven, I don't know. Just like, ah, I'm trying to get there. I, I don't know. Boss baby, right? <laughs> it's a baby. It's a baby for crying out loud. A child is born. So it tells us this. 
that this child does not win his kingdom by the force of arms. This child does not bestow the blessings of the kingdom through earthly power and military might, but through weakness. Weakness. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the meek, the lowly. What did Paul say? In my weakness, he is strong. It's really hard for us to really believe that the kingdom of God that has already been inaugurated, not in full, but in part, and we as citizens of that kingdom of God, that the way that that kingdom is going to continue to spread is through weakness, not through power. But we, including me, still believe that if we can get the right persons in power, then maybe we can usher in the kingdom of God. And the way of Jesus has always been a way of dissent, weakness. I don't know what this fully looks like, but I'm asking God to continue to help me. What does it really look like to lead with my weak foot forward? What does it look like for a church to lead with the weak foot forward? A child. But as we know, because we know the rest of the story, and Isaiah is also kind of alluding to this as he talks about the names of this child. This child is like no other child that's going to be born. Amen? Yes, he is going to be fully human, but there's something else about this child that makes him magnificent and worthy of worship and worthy of our lives. And, and Isaiah says this child needs four names to try to explain as best he can who this child is and what this child is going to do. And as we know, because we've got the rest of the story from Genesis to Revelation, it's not just four names that names this child. It's actually 200 plus. 200 plus names gives us the name of this child. That, that sort of, as best we can, encompasses what this child is going to do. But here, let's focus on these four. The first one is... He will be named Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful here is the nearest term the Hebrews had for our concept of supernatural. This child will bring wisdom to us far above any human wisdom. This child is wonderful in counsel, a wonder of a counselor, navigating all of life's complexities with us. He will know us, understand us, empathize with us. He will comfort us. And as any good counselor does, he will confront you too. We can go to him. He's patiently, as we just sang a few minutes ago, waiting patiently. But not only is he a wonderful counselor, we see here also that he is mighty God. And just a few, years, a few verses later, the same title here refers to God himself. So this child is no mere child. God himself will come to us. That's who this child is. The one who lives in unapproachable light will come into our darkness and become for us the light 
to the world. The child who is promised is a wonder of a counselor because he is God Almighty. Not only does he understand us, get us, empathize with us, comfort us, but he can change your situation because he's mighty God. He has unlimited power. That's who this child is. But this unlimited power is not used to promote himself. It's actually used to come and and help you, to sustain you, to persevere you because he is also eternal father. The people had been promised an eternal king, but that's not the emphasis here, even though he is a king from from the seat of David. But this is not what's emphasized here. What is emphasized here is that he is eternal father. His rule follows the pattern of a divine fatherhood. This means he comes to comfort and not conquer. He comes to protect and provide. He moves toward us like a father. Not only is he a wonderful counselor, not only is he mighty God, an eternal father, he is also the prince of peace. This is not just the absence of war. That word peace comes from the word shalom in Hebrew. It means whole or complete. This is what we're all longing for, a wholeness, a completeness, a a way that, that everything is sort of integrated in us, right? We want wholeness and completeness within our family as we look and see disintegration. We want them to be to come together and he's the prince, which means he's in charge. And so this is the concept of the administrator. So this this child is an administrator of wholeness. God himself comes to us as a wonder of a counselor to administrate wholeness to us and to his creation. So yes, this is a child, but this child is like no other child that's ever been born. He has four names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. And we also know him as Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. We also know him as the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. We also know him as Jesus for he's come to save his people from their sins. So yes, Isaiah speaks of a day that would be coming a day that has already come in Jesus. That's why we have the birth announcement in Luke chapter two, where the angels go to a field of shepherds and say, a child, a baby has been born to you in the city of David. That's why we see in Matthew chapter four, where Matthew begins to see that Jesus coming out of Naphtali, as you said that really well, Kristen, way to go, way to knock it out, and Zebulun, which is the northern part of the nation of Israel. And that's where Jesus started his ministry. So Matthew has that in mind. Isaiah chapter nine saying, oh, he's the light that's come into the world. That's why John picks up the same theme of light in John chapter one, verse four, where he says this, in him talking about Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He speaks of the light of the world and this darkness does not overcome it. John has this passage, Isaiah 9, in mind. Yes, things are really dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. A child has been born to you. A child has been born for us in his name is Jesus, this wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. So in light of this, 
I have one invitation for us all. That's it. Not multiple, just, just one. May have another one next week, but I got one today. May we make some space. And I get it, man. This is busy on all stretches of the imaginations. Everybody's got stuff going on, gifts to get, parties to go to, people to see, families, all that. Get that. I'm encouraging us to, to make, not find, right? If you go and find, you'll never find. Amen? And create space, make space in this season to acknowledge, to face the darkness that is in your life. And when I speak about darkness, I'm, I'm looking at it more kind of holistic. So yes, sin is included in this. There's nothing wrong with us making some space to think about the sin that still remains in our life. There's nothing wrong with us doing that. Here in a second, you'll see I'm not wanting you to stay there. I want you to do something with it, all right? But I'm also talking about loss that some of us have really experienced this year. Pain, hurt, disappointment. I mean, whatever you want to kind of label as darkness is something that it's, it's not what it should be, right? What would it look like for you to make some space during this season to face, to acknowledge the darkness that is still in our lives? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, who look forward to something greater to come. I know maybe making space to acknowledge the darkness that's still in your life may sound really discouraging or maybe even Strange, but I do think that's a gift that can be for us during this season for us to be honest about our losses, about our pain, about the sin that still remains, maybe to name it and have a conversation with someone that you trust about it. And then the kind of second movement to this is I'm praying that as you acknowledge this and see this in your own life, you then turn and fix your eyes on Jesus. This child, the light that's come into the world that spells darkness, that you would fix your eyes on Jesus. And I get it, man. That's a way that all of us as pastors have a tendency to do. We speak in these abstract terms, like what in the world does it mean to fix my eyes on Jesus? Am I just kind of like to get a manger scene and just look at him all the time? You know, am I supposed to get a cross? Like, what is this? What does this look like? Well, here's some things. As you think about the darkness that still remains in you, as well as what you experience around you, maybe a way you fix your eyes on Jesus is just through a simple prayer. A good friend of mine talks about it as breath prayers, where you can speak these prayers in one breath. A prayer like this, come Lord Jesus. John's prayer in Revelation chapter 22. Come, Lord Jesus. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. 
Give me grace. Help my unbelief. Sustain me. That's fixing your eyes on Jesus. Like, pick a phrase. I don't know what's going on in your world, but over these next several weeks, pick a phrase, and may that just be the frame that you think about. I mean, even the song that we sing, sang today, I don't know about you guys, but I, I never go home singing my sermons. Like, I don't remember a single sermon usually. It's like, it's done. I got another one coming, so I'm over, right? And I know you guys don't go home singing my sermons either. Like, you're singing, hallelujah, we're done. That's probably what you're singing. But when you sing, think about like Jesus and there's no other name above Jesus, like these little, little refrains that we sing, they, get, they stick with you and you'll find yourself over throughout the week. Like, oh, wow, I'm singing the song that we just sang Sunday. Like that, that's, that's what I mean by a breath prayer too. Like pick a phrase. That's fixing your eyes on Jesus. Maybe pick up one of the devotional readings that we provided for you guys. Christianity Today has put together a really good uh, Advent series for you to kind of walk through these next several days as we approach Christmas. And uh, there's some of those out at the Blue Start Here sign. Man, you can pick them up. They're free. Um, uh, so yeah, grab one of those and jump in on the specific day here. I, I, for me, I don't know about you guys, but there's times when I just need someone to kind of feed me. I just need someone to like, all right, can I just open my mouth and you just put some words in there? Maybe you're like me and sometimes I just like to sit still and turn off all the lights except for the Christmas tree lights and just look at them and intentionally remind myself that the light of Jesus Christ has come and will come. So I'm not just wanting you to, to sit in darkness, right? In a sense of like metaphorically speaking, I want me to spend the next 20 some days thinking about my sin and the brokenness and how horrible my life. What is, no, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm trying to help us invite ourselves into this Advent season to acknowledge the darkness as Isaiah done, has done here. Acknowledge this so that we can appreciate and worship the light that has come, whose name is Jesus. So, yeah, sit with this, make space, but the goal is to fix your eyes and turn your eyes toward Him. This past Friday, I um, went and saw my mom, as, as most of you guys know. My mom's in a, a nursing home suffering with uh, Parkinson's, and uh, she's there at Weston Manor. They do a really good job of taking care of her. And I try to go see her weekly. This, it's a lot easier right now because we don't have to necessarily make an appointment anymore. They just lifted up those restrictions about a, a few weeks ago. So I went and saw her this past Friday. And uh, I'm able to kind of go in her room now and sit down in her bed. And, and so like, yeah, it's always like a conversation that starts where I'm trying to inform her about what's going on in our life and our world. And, you know, as far as like family and all that kind of stuff, I'm trying to ask her questions like, what'd you have to eat or whatever, just to kind of engage in what's going on in her life. And about halfway through the conversation, I just said, hey, do you know who I am? It kind of looked like she did, but I wasn't totally for sure. And so, um, and so I asked her, I said, you know who I am? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, well then who am I? And she looked in my eyes and she goes, James Gordon Drury. I said, hmm, that's my dad, all right? Close in the family. Dad passed away about 20 years ago, mom. And she goes, okay, yeah, then you're Brian. I said, yeah, getting close. He's my older brother, got a lot of white hair. He's way, looks way older than I do, even though he's just two years older. And then she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, then you're Wendell. I'm like, I don't know who Wendell is, Mom, you know. 
I, I, I don't know, something going on you need to tell me about? Is this like confession or something? Then she said, Kenny. I don't know where Kenny came from. And then eventually after we kind of, uh, she didn't say anymore. I just said, no, mom, I'm Lyle. And then she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you are. And then she said, um, you don't come and visit me very much, do you? <laughs> I was like, no, mom, I come every week. Brian shouldn't get double, right? Every time he shows up, you know, and I show up, it's Brian. No, it's like, I'm here every week um, seeing you, so... Yeah, in these situations, all you can do sometimes when you're walking away from it is kind of like both cry and laugh. You know what I'm saying? There's a deep darkness in her mind, and it's getting worse and worse every time I show up. There's a hardness that's happening with her physical body as Parkinson's is literally killing her. And then there's a sadness. You see, Advent reminds us that the light has come, right? And it also reminds us that the light is coming, whose name is Jesus. So, as weird as this may sound, but it's true, so be of good cheer. The darkness, the hardness, the sadness that we all feel and experience. I'm not unique in this experience. We all feel this. Will not have the last word. Jesus will. And there's coming a day because my mom is in Christ where she's going to be raised with a new body to never, ever, ever suffer again. And just as John says in Revelation, come, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. So I just want to give us a moment here like we normally do to just be still, quiet, maybe an opportunity for you to sit and think about the brokenness, the darkness that's in you and give you an opportunity just to cry out to the Lord to fix your eyes on Jesus. Maybe there's something that came to your mind about a breath prayer that you want to pray and you want to write that in your journal or, or even just write it on your hand so you can kind of remember it as you walk out of here this morning. But I just want to give us some space to just be present and calm and quiet with the Lord. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.